The People's Pharmacy Podcast is supported in part by Cocovia. Cocovia cocoflavanols support both cardiovascular health and cognitive function by promoting healthy blood flow, transporting oxygen and nutrients to vital organs and muscles, including your heart and brain. Cocovia now comes in an even more concentrated formula. With 450 milligrams of cocoa flavanols, five times more than the leading dark chocolate bar and 15 times more than the leading cocoa powder. Cocovia has a proprietary process that preserves cocoa flavanols at the highest levels, and the product undergoes rigorous testing at every stage, which allows them to guarantee the highest level of cocoa flavanols per serving and to provide the purest, highest quality product possible. People's Pharmacy listeners can now try Cocovia for 25% off by using the code Peoples25 at cocavia.com. That's C-O-C-O-A-V-I-A dot com. We live in stressful times. Millions of Americans are anxious or depressed. Why are so many in trouble and what can we do about it? This is The People's Pharmacy with Terry and Joe Graydon. Dr. Daniel Amen is a psychiatrist with a unique understanding of mental illness. Right away, we learned that depression is not one thing, that you really should be thinking of depression as a cluster of symptoms, sort of like chest pain, that has many different causes, rather than you're depressed, take this or take that. Find out why brain health is so fundamental to mental well-being. Coming up on The People's Pharmacy, we explore how neuroscience is transforming psychiatry. In The People's Pharmacy Health Headlines... The Food and Drug Administration, together with the Federal Trade Commission, are warning people about unapproved products that are being marketed to treat COVID-19. The FDA is worried that people who may have symptoms might use products sold online, such as essential oils, tinctures, teas, and colloidal silver. The agency points out that there are no approved drugs or vaccines against coronavirus infection at this time. It worries that people will be taken advantage of. Utilizing ineffective products might delay appropriate medical treatment. Are hospitals and other health care facilities ready for the impending coronavirus pandemic? Doctors, nurses, and other allied health professionals rely on N95 face masks when they are taking care of potentially contagious patients, but there's concern that the need may outstrip the supply. These protective masks fit tightly on the face and filter out most particulate matter. They're staples for tuberculosis care. Now, however, many hospitals are having a hard time ordering adequate supplies. The federal government has a strategic national stockpile that includes N95 face masks, but the amount is far less than may be needed. There's also growing concern that there may not be enough hospital beds, oxygen, or ventilators to take care of large numbers of people who could become extremely ill. People who use an artificial sweetener usually do so because they think it's safer than sugar. That might not be true in the case of sucralose. Researchers at Yale University compared the metabolic reactions of 60 people to three different beverages. One group drank a beverage containing the equivalent of two packets of Splenda, the brand name for sucralose. The second group consumed a drink sweetened with sugar. The drink for the third group contained both sucralose and a flavorless carbohydrate called maltodextrin. After two weeks and seven of their beverages, glucose response in the first two groups was unchanged, but the third group started producing far more insulin in reaction to the beverage. Such insulin resistance is a harbinger of prediabetes. The scientists hypothesize that consuming sucralose in combination with carbohydrate confuses the brain. It then communicates the wrong signals to the rest of the body and interferes with the ability to handle sugar normally. Experts not involved with the study caution that various artificial sweeteners are different and others may not interact with carbohydrates in the same way as sucralose. 
People who are overweight often develop type 2 diabetes. Canadian researchers now believe that bacteria may be the connection between obesity and this metabolic disorder. The scientists analyzed fat deposits that were removed from 40 patients undergoing bariatric surgery. Half the subjects had insulin resistance, while the other half had type 2 diabetes. The investigators discovered that the bacteria found in the tissues of people with diabetes differed from the kinds of microbes in the non-diabetic patients. The lead author of the study is quoted as saying, We know that the intestinal barrier is more permeable in obese patients. Our hypothesis is that living bacteria and bacterial fragments cross this barrier and set off an inflammatory process that ultimately prevents insulin from doing its job, which is to regulate blood glucose levels by acting on metabolic tissues. The investigators hope that they can find probiotic bacteria that might be able to prevent or control type 2 diabetes. For years, scientists have been arguing about the benefits of moderate alcohol consumption against Alzheimer's disease. Some studies suggest that drinking alcohol reduces the risk of this kind of dementia. Other research has found no effect well, a few studies report an increased risk of Alzheimer's disease in drinkers. Now a study adds some intriguing new data to the debate. Researchers recruited 414 men and women with an average age of 71. They were administered a variety of tests, including MRIs, PET scans, mental acuity tests, and also they were queried about their alcohol consumption. People who'd been consuming moderate amounts of alcohol for decades had substantially less amyloid beta plaques in their brains compared to non-drinkers. And that's the health news from the People's Pharmacy this week. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. Nearly 40 million Americans take antidepressant medications on a regular basis. Millions more take anti-anxiety agents and antipsychotic drugs. Mental illness is a huge problem, not just in the U.S., but also around the world. How well are we managing psychiatric disorders? To find out, we turn to Dr. Daniel Amen. He's a physician, double board certified psychiatrist, and New York Times bestselling author. He's the founder and medical director of Amen Clinics and a distinguished fellow of the American Psychiatric Association. Dr. Amen's latest book is The End of Mental Illness, How Neuroscience is Transforming Psychiatry. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy, Dr. Daniel Amen. Thank you so much. Dr. Amen, I got my start in the health field by working in a neuropharmacology lab at the Neuropsychiatric Institute in Princeton, New Jersey. And the mentors that I was working with believed that they would be able to cure mental illness, that if they could just figure out which chemicals were out of balance and then just come up with the right medications, that that would solve all of the problems of mental illness. And they looked on the brain as sort of a black box, that there was no real good way to figure out what was going inside the brain. They did a lot of what we called quantitative electroencephalograms, uh, a lot of work on animals, rats and, and rabbits. And, you know, I have to tell you, 40 years later, what a disappointment What do you think went wrong with that thinking? Well, they're working on the wrong paradigm. They weren't thinking of the brain as an organ, like your heart is an organ, and you have to put the brain in a healing environment. The idea that depression is a serotonin deficiency or that schizophrenia is dopamine excess is just so simple-minded and just flat-out wrong. And I actually started my imaging career using quantitative EEG, as you mentioned, and I liked it because at least it gave us some biological information about the brain. But in 1991, I started looking at the brain with a study called SPECT, S-P-E-C-T, and SPECT looks at blood flow and activity. It looks at how the brain works. 
And right away, we learned that depression is not one thing, that you really should be thinking of depression as a cluster of symptoms, sort of like chest pain, that has many different causes, rather than you're depressed, take this or take that. And you can have depression from low activity in the brain, high activity in the brain, from a traumatic brain injury, or some form of environmental toxin. And if you never look, you actually never know, and it will take you down the wrong road where you're talking about someone's mother or the negative thought patterns they have, and just completely ignoring the health of the organ, the brain, that creates the mind. These things aren't mental, they're brain, and that one distinction begins to change everything. Get your brain right and your mind will follow. So to end mental illness, it's not going to be with a pill. It's not. It's going to be by creating a revolution in brain health, which what we see at the Amen Clinics is that's what gets people well. Dr. Amen, you mentioned the use of SPECT imaging. And I think most of us are not familiar with that. So can you give us a brief overview? Absolutely. SPECT is a nuclear medicine study that looks at blood flow and activity. And it basically tells us three things. Is there good activity, too little, or too much? It's different from a CAT scan or an MRI. Those look at the anatomy of the brain, but most psychiatric problems are not structural, they're not anatomical, they're functional. And that's why for a long time I've loved the brain spec imaging we do because I get a look at the physical functioning of your brain. Now, the scans by themselves, they don't go, oh, you're depressed or you have bipolar disorder. What they do is they tell us the underlying physiology of the patient that's in front of us. And over the last 30 years, we've done about 160,000 scans on people from 121 countries. So when we look at them, they really inform the diagnosis and the treatment plan. And they're eternally surprising in the fact that one of the big lessons I learned is mild traumatic brain injury is a major cause of psychiatric illness. And nobody knows it because people go see psychiatrists or psychologists or marriage and family counselors or addiction counselors who never look at the brain. Well, you know, that brings up an important point because a lot of people who are feeling anxious, perhaps they're feeling depressed, maybe they're feeling very angry, they might be diagnosed by bipolar, they, they go to their family practice physician, that's the first step, and quite frequently these days, the primary care provider prescribes, let's just say, an SSRI, a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Of course, Prozac was the first and most famous, but now there are SNRIs, selective norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors. There, there are a whole bunch. There's probably more than a dozen antidepressant medications. Sometimes people will get prescribed a stimulant. If they have ADHD, they'll get you know an amphetamine-like drug, and there are a whole bunch more like that. But very rare Rarely, if ever, does a primary care physician or even a psychiatrist or psychologist order a brain scan. So what's wrong with that picture? Um, when I decided to be a psychiatrist in 1979, my dad asked me why I didn't want to be a real doctor, why I wanted to be a nut doctor and hang out with nuts all day long. So my dad didn't, never got Father of the Year award. But 40 years later, I sort of got where he was coming from because what medical specialty do you know that virtually never looks at the organ they treat? And after I started looking at the brain and I'm like, well, everybody should do this. And I you know, started teaching courses at the American Psychiatric Association. But the backlash 
was just stunning <laughs> because it's like, well, it's not part of our training. It's not part of our tradition. Oh, the scans won't give you a diagnosis, so they're useless. And I'm like, but they give you the underlying biology of the patient in front of you. And so I've sort of been in a war with my colleagues because how the heck would you ever know what to do for someone just based on symptom clusters? So that's the standard of care is you meet five of these eight criteria that were voted on by you know, a group of psychiatrists. You get five of eight of them, you have a diagnosis of major depression, and the first treatment is an SSRI, which works no better than placebo in large-scale studies. So what's the matter with this picture is we're a profession that does not rely on science. We're relying on tradition and theory with no biological data. And I would just submit, that's insane, that... If you don't look, you don't know, you miss big things like toxic exposure. Virtually every every firefighter I've seen over the years, their brains look toxic. Why? Because they're breathing toxins. They also have emotional trauma. There's a lot of physical trauma. Just going to your family doctor, your local psychiatrist, getting medication based on symptom clusters, it's just not rational. Now, Dr. Amen, what you're doing is you've described the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. You've said it's it's not a good basis for making a diagnosis. So what are the better sources of uh, information that a psychiatrist could and should use to figure out what's wrong with us and what we need to get better? So, you know, it's why I write because I at least want to share with the other professionals, and we actually have brain health coaches where we teach them our method in 56 countries. And it's not hard, and it doesn't necessarily depend on a scan. I mean, of course you should scan people. Can you imagine you have chest pain and a cardiologist never looks at your heart? But a long time ago, I realized not everyone's getting a scan. So based on thousands of them, we've developed questionnaires to go, are you likely to have a frontal lobe problem, a temporal lobe problem, a cingulate problem, or a limbic or emotional part of your brain problem? So know what system might be hurting and then attack each of these systems. But if I had to say, what you know, what are the three innovations I've tried to bring to my profession? One is imaging. If you don't look, you don't know. Two is natural ways to heal the brain. So you mentioned SSRIs. Well, head-to-head against SSRIs, exercise has been found to be equally effective. So we should start there. In a study from New Zealand, Prozac was effective 51% of the time in people with depression, Omega-3 fatty acids were effective 57% of the time. Um, And then learning not to believe every stupid thing you think. We call it ant therapy, therapy for the automatic negative thoughts that steal your mind. So if you're depressed, why don't we start with exercise, omega-3 fatty acids, and learning how not to believe every stupid thing you think. And then let's see how we go from there. So imaging, natural ways to heal the brain in a functional or integrative medicine concept. You're listening to Dr. Daniel Amen, psychiatrist and author. His latest book is The End of Mental Illness, How Neuroscience is Transforming Psychiatry and Helping Prevent or Reverse Mood and Anxiety Disorders, ADHD, Addictions, PTSD, Psychosis, Personality Disorders, and more. After the break, we'll learn about some success stories. You'll want to hear about nine-year-old Tommy, who read Dr. Amen's book and diagnosed himself. Find out about the risk factors for mental health problems and how we can address them. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy podcast is sponsored in part by Kaya Biotics. 
K-A-Y-A Biotics offers the first probiotics, which are both certified organic and hypoallergenic. All probiotics are produced in Germany under laboratory conditions with high-quality ingredients and under strict regulatory oversight. The three available formulas are created for very specific purposes, such as strengthening the immune system, fighting yeast infections, and helping with weight loss. To learn more about Kaya Biotics probiotics and the important topic of gut health, you can visit their website, KayaBiotics.com. That's K-A-Y-A Biotics.com. Use the discount code PEOPLE for $10 off your first purchase. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Cocovia maker of high-potency cocoflavanol supplements that support cognitive and cardiovascular health. More information at cocovia.com. Also by Verizana, an analytical laboratory providing home health tests for hormones, gut health, and the microbiome. Online at verisana.com. Today we're talking about the links between brain health and mental health. How can we optimize mental well-being? Our guest is Dr. Daniel Amen. He's a physician, double board certified psychiatrist, and New York Times best-selling author. He's the founder and medical director of Amen Clinics, which have the world's largest database of functional brain scans relating to behavior, totaling more than 125,000 scans on patients from 111 countries. Dr. Amen is also a distinguished fellow of the American Psychiatric Association. His latest book is The End of Mental Illness, How Neuroscience is Transforming Psychiatry and Helping Prevent or Reverse Mood and Anxiety Disorders, ADHD, Addictions, PTSD, Psychosis, Personality Disorders, and more. Dr. Amen, in your book, The End of Mental Illness, you have a lot of stories about people, success stories, and we'd love to hear some of them. You've told us exactly how you approach, in general, looking to improve brain health so that people end up without mental illness. Could you tell us about Tommy, the nine-year-old who self-referred? I love Tommy. So I walk in the clinic one day, and I have 14 people on my schedule and all these messages to return. And my assistant said, you have to meet Tommy. And I was sort of stressed and overwhelmed. And she saw the look on my face, and she said, stop it. He's nine years old. He's from Orlando, Florida. And he's read your book, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life. And so, you know, my heart melted and I went and found him. And when he saw me, recognized me and he said, hey, Dr. Amen, I have a left temporal lobe problem. I'm like, really? I'm like, how do you know that? He said, I read the book. I took the checklist in the book. And I'm like, how do you really know it? And he said, I have a bad temper. And you write people who have bad tempers often have temporal lobe problems, which is what our research has shown. And then he said, and I used to see ghosts. I'm like, what? He said, I used to see these green things float in front of my eyes, and I thought they were ghosts, and they scared me, until I realized they're illusions that people with temporal lobe problems get. And so I'm like blown away by this kid. And then with his big, beautiful blue eyes, he looked at me, and he said, in last year... To get rid of the bad thoughts in my head, I tried to kill myself, nine years old. And he said, you write that often people with temporal lobe problems have dark, evil, awful thoughts. And I said, have you seen your scan? And he said, no. And so we went back to the imaging center and I pulled up his scan and he had a left temporal lobe problem. And uh, I was just amazed. And on a mood stabilizer... So I'm not opposed to medication. I'm just opposed to the indiscriminate use of medication. On a mood stabilizer, his behavior was dramatically better. His temper was better. The ghosts went away. 
and he no longer had the dark thoughts. And, you know, I could have had him in therapy for a long time, but if I wouldn't have looked at his brain, how would I have known really what to do for him? What kind of mood stabilizer do you use in a child? So, since the early 1980s, we've been using anti-seizure medication in psychiatry. They're actually one of the most popular medications uh, in psychiatry. So, medicines like Lamictal, Neurontin, Tegretol, you know, have just been miraculous for some of my patients. You know, when I know why I'm doing what I'm doing for them. Dr. Amen, we have often heard that our genes are responsible for, you know, almost everything that happens to us. And, and that includes the brain. So there are a lot of people who go, well, yeah, mom, mom was depressed. So I guess that's why I'm depressed. And Uncle Charlie, well, yeah, he had what was called manic depression back in the day. Now they call it bipolar. Or, you know, dad's really kind of an anxious personality. And, and I guess that's why I'm anxious. And so a lot of people, I think, they, they, they believe that they're doomed by their genes alone. You say that the genes only load the gun. It's the events in our life that pull the trigger. What do you mean by that, please? Well, so many people believe the lie that, you know, I have this in my family, therefore I'm doomed. And I say genes are not a death sentence, but what they should be is a wake-up call to get serious. So know your vulnerability. So you may be more vulnerable to anxiety or more vulnerable to depression. Or in my case, I'm more vulnerable to heart disease and obesity. But at 65, I don't have heart disease and I'm not obese. Why? Because I don't give in to the behaviors making it likely to be so. And so if I put my brain in a healing environment, less likely to get depressed and also you may be depressed because you're eating the same terrible food that your father ate and that's why you both put your bodies in an inflammatory environment and that's why it triggers the depression the genes that make you more vulnerable to depression the book is actually dedicated to my two nieces Amelie and Alizé who they're loaded for mental illness, family history of schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, major depression, multiple suicides, personality disorders. I mean, their genes are a mess. But as you said, genes only load the gun. It's what happens to you that pull the trigger. And unfortunately, they were raised in chaos with parents who suffered with addictions, depression, and domestic violence. They went to multiple schools. They had multiple moves. And about four years ago, they were taken by Child Protective Service. So we probably could agree these girls are loaded for mental illness. And the whole book, the whole idea behind the end of mental illness is, well, how do I prevent it in them and their babies and grandbabies? And now, four years later, they're both A students, they're happy, they're purposeful, they're no longer addicted to hot Cheetos, because what we're doing is we're putting their bodies but also their ovaries, which contain the eggs for the next generation, in a healing environment. And that's what I get really excited about. And I tell my patients, you know, it's not just about you. It's literally about generations of you. Because when these girls were born, they were born with all of the eggs they will ever have and they're putting those eggs in a healing environment or a toxic environment and you know my colleagues we're not talking like this it's like look this isn't just about you it's about generations of you well dr amen i wonder if you could give us some specifics about how elise and amelie turned their situation around, I am sure, with a lot of help from the adults in their life, especially you. 
Yeah, no question. It's a lot of work. And they're completely worth it. I love them like they are mine. And one of the first things we wanted to do is, so which of the 11 major risk factors do they have? Um, A big part of our work is using a functional medicine approach. So the idea behind it is if you want to keep your brain healthy or rescue it if it's headed to the dark place, you have to prevent or treat the 11 major risk factors that steal your mind. And we know what they are. I created a mnemonic called Bright Minds. And so, for example, B is for blood flow. Low blood flow is the number one brain imaging predictor of Alzheimer's disease and is associated with schizophrenia, depression, and ADHD. When I scanned Alizé for the first time, she had a damaged brain. And I was, quite frankly, horrified. When I saw her 13-year-old brain, it looked terrible. An environmental toxin was there, alcohol during her pregnancy, something. And so what we did is we put her in a hyperbaric chamber. Hyperbaric oxygen has been shown to increase blood flow to the brain. We put her on specific supplements, including ginkgo, to increase blood flow to the brain. And she took a little small dose of a stimulant medication to get her better activity and blood flow. That combination, she's now a straight-A student in a college prep. I mean, she's really bright. But if I don't start working on repairing her damaged brain when she's young, it sets her up to have a psychotic episode when she's in her early 20s. Dr. Heyman, I wonder if you could tell us about the other 10 risk factors that you take a look at. So the R is for retirement and aging. When you stop learning, your brain starts dying. Um, The older you get, the more serious you need to be. I is inflammation. It's a major cause of psychiatric illness. Uh, So we measure it and we go about calming it down using omega-3 fatty acids, curcumin, get your gut right. G is genetics, which we talked about. H is head trauma, major cause of psychiatric problems. Don't let your children hit soccer balls with their head, play tackle football. We have to be protective of the brain. T is toxins. They're just rampant in our society. The two big innovations in psychiatry are, you know, legalizing marijuana and they're using a lot of marijuana for anxiety disorders. I'm not a fan of that based on the studies I've seen. And hallucinogens, they're making a comeback. And I'm like, oh my God, this is the innovations. We have to be very careful about the toxins that we consume. The M stands for mind storms. It's abnormal electrical activity in the brain, especially in the temporal lobes that we talked about with Tommy. I is immunity and infections. Things like Lyme disease are actually a major cause of neuropsychiatric disorders. And according to many people, they believe it's actually at epidemic proportions now in the United States. N is neurohormone deficiencies. If your thyroid's not right, your brain's not right. If your testosterone, and I have to tell you, I've seen more low testosterone in teenage boys than at any time in my career, uh, probably because of the toxic load in their bodies. D is diabetes, either high blood sugar or high weight. I published two studies that show as your weight goes up, the size and function of your brain goes down. 72% of us are overweight. And if you're overweight, it puts you at risk for anxiety and depression. And S is sleep. 60 million Americans have sleep-related problems. And low sleep is associated with low blood flow to the brain, anxiety, depression, cognitive problems. Um, If teenagers, for example, just sleep an hour less than their peers, there's a higher incidence of depression and suicide. Dr. Amen, you mentioned trauma, and you talked about heading a soccer ball, playing tackle football. You've actually worked with professional football players. A lot of your research has focused on them, and you've looked at head trauma in particular, and you've called it the silent epidemic that underlies many mental illnesses. 
Could you go into that in a little bit more detail and then tell us, well, if somebody has suffered a concussion, maybe a bicycle accident or where they bang their head really badly on a on a drawer and it knocks them out for a while, what can be done? Because a lot of times it's just a watch and wait process with standard medical practice. And, you know, I would argue that's the wrong approach. Uh, So on average, there are 3 million new head injuries every year in the United States, according to the CDC. Most of those people live, which means over the last 40 years, there's probably over 100 million people walking around with the effects of traumatic brain injury. Your brain is soft, about the consistency of soft butter. It's housed in a really hard skull that has multiple sharp bony ridges. Mild traumatic brain injury ruins people's lives. What we discovered, and I did this actually long before my NFL work, is, well, you can repair it, but you want to get started right away rather than waiting until they try to kill themselves eight years after the traumatic brain injury. And so how did we do that? And so I published a study on our NFL work, high levels of damage, and football players, stop lying about it. 80% of our players get better. What do we do? Well, we know what their risk factors are, and we attack each one of them as soon as possible. And then multiple vitamin, fish oil, and something I developed that actually has seven nutrients to increase blood flow to the brain and to optimize a number of brain functions. And that's the secret. We're never going to find the cure for Alzheimer's disease because it's not one thing. And there's not going to be one medication for head trauma. You have to go after it from a multiple mechanism approach. And when you do that for us... 80% of our players were better, better blood flow to their brain, better mood, better memory, better motivation, better sleep. I'm pretty excited about that. Now, for a lot of our head trauma folks, we also use hyperbaric oxygen. I'm in a new documentary, a docu-series with Justin Bieber. He just came out publicly that I've been his doctor. And you actually see in the docu-series him going in the chamber uh, a lot. But he had three significant concussions in the past and had low blood flow to his brain. And you can see eight months later how much better his brain is when he does the right thing for it. Dr. Amen, you've mentioned blood flow as being really important a couple of times. And after the break, I'm wondering if you can tell us some of the other strategies that you have employed to improve blood flow to the brain beyond the hyperbaric oxygen. So hold that thought. We'll be right back after the break to find out about why circulation in the brain is so critical. You're listening to Dr. Daniel Amen. He is a physician, a double board-certified psychiatrist, and a New York Times best-selling author. He's the founder and medical director of Amen Clinics, which have the world's largest database of functional brain scans relating to behavior, totaling more than 125,000 scans on patients from 111 countries. Dr. Amen is also a distinguished fellow of the American Psychiatric Association. His latest book is The End of Mental Illness, How Neuroscience is Transforming Psychiatry and Helping Prevent or Reverse Mood and Anxiety Disorders, ADHD, Addictions, PTSD, Psychosis, Personality Disorders, and more. When we come back, you'll hear more about supplements, including saffron. We expect doctors to be interested in the evidence about supplements, as well as medicine. How does inflammation affect our health? Leaky gut, inflammation, and Lyme disease might all have unexpected effects on mental health because of how they affect the brain. What practical steps can we take to improve our brain health? You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This People's Pharmacy podcast is brought to you in part by Verisana.com. 
Verizona Lab offers home health tests that allow you to monitor your hormones and health conditions. You can take control of the quantitative assessment of your health and learn about male and female hormone balance, the stress hormone cortisol, leaky gut, gluten intolerance, or your gut microbiome. Take a more active role in tracking your health and take 20% off your first order of a mail-in testing opportunity with the discount code people. That's uppercase P-E-O-P-L-E. To learn more, go to verisana.com. That's V-E-R-I-S-A-N-A dot com. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Cocovia, offering plant-based nutrients in the form of cocoflavanols for brain and heart health. Online at cocovia.com. And by Kaya Biotics, probiotic products made in Germany from certified organic ingredients, K-A-Y-A Biotics.com. Today, we're talking about how the brain is fundamental to mental health. How do nutrition, exercise, sleep, and ways to fight inflammation affect our outlook? Our guest is Dr. Daniel Amen. That's spelled A-M-E-N. He's a physician, double board certified psychiatrist, and New York Times bestselling author. He's founder and medical director of Amen Clinics and a distinguished fellow of the American Psychiatric Association. Dr. Amen's latest book is The End of Mental Illness, How Neuroscience is Transforming Psychiatry. Dr. Amen, I wonder if you could tell us, please, what you do for patients who have compromised blood flow in their brain. How can it be improved? And and one of the things I'd love for you to talk a little bit about are some of the supplements. You've mentioned omega-3 fatty acids, but... In your book, you also mentioned something called cocoflavanols. We had a doctor call into our radio show a, a few weeks back and saying, well, that's just garbage. That's rough. How can you talk about cocoflavanols for brain health or heart health? There's no data. And we often hear from a lot of physicians, there's no data. And then we go look in PubMed, and we discover not dozens, but sometimes hundreds of studies. Your thoughts on things like cocoflavanols, green tea, and resveratrol, please? Well, in the book, there's actually a whole chapter called Mind Medicine versus Nutraceuticals. And I knew that you know, with the title of the book, The End of Mental Illness, I was going to get a lot of pushback. And I consider myself a scientist. In the book, there are 1,084 scientific references. I actually had to have a fuss with my publisher because they're like, there's 60 pages of scientific references. And in the supplement chapter, there's 286 references because when you say something like cocoflavanols can be helpful to increase blood flow, well, you better put a reference for that. Otherwise, people aren't going to believe you. And there's actually A-level scientific evidence for many things associated with the mind. And well, how exciting is that? So, for example, one of my favorite new supplements, newer, is saffron that saffron has A-level scientific evidence for depression, head-to-head against Prozac, against Effexor, against Amipramine, against Zoloft, found to be equally effective. But the cool thing about saffron is, as opposed to all the SSRIs, which sort of mess up your sexual function, uh, saffron is pro-sexual. It actually helps you have better sexual performance. It improves memory and decreases PMS, for example. And so in the book, I'm like, okay, so what has A-level scientific evidence? What does that mean? At well, least uh, hang two- on, hang Hang on just a sec, because Terry wants to ask you or, or state something about saffron. 
Well, Dr. Amen, I'm fascinated to hear you talk about saffron because we recently wrote in our newspaper column about a couple, not just one, but two or three placebo-controlled trials of saffron for age-related macular degeneration. And we alerted a friend of ours who has macular degeneration to this, and he asked his ophthalmologist, who said, what garbage, didn't even go to PubMed to look it up and see whether the trials were there and whether they were good trials. So how discouraging is that, that uh, some physicians are not interested in the evidence? Yeah, he's the wrong doctor for that person. And you get pretty irritated over time with people who respond as if they know when they have no clue. And it's heartbreaking. Like a lot of my critics will go, there's no science behind imaging. And my response is, do you know how to read? Because if you go to PubMed today, there's 14,600 scientific abstracts on brain spacked. Now, you may not like this study, or you might want to argue with me about the studies, but let's not say there's no science. That's ignorant. And I didn't know that about saffron, and I love saffron. So I'm pretty excited about that. But also, St. John's Wort has A-level scientific evidence. Sammy, A-level scientific evidence for depression. So why wouldn't we try that first? You know, those of us that went to medical school, you learn like week two First, do no harm. Use the least toxic, most effective treatment. But I didn't get any supplement education in medical school or my psychiatric residency. I didn't get any education on nutrition. I mean, I think we had 16 total hours on nutrition when I would argue your diet is the cause of half of your problem. And if you get your diet right, your brain is better. And of course, diet is a big a big part of the functional medicine approach, especially the approach to, for example, diabetes. I'm wondering if you could tell us a bit about inflammation and its effects on what we call mental illness. Well, what we now know is inflammation is actually a major cause of depression and dementia. And according to the CDC... 97% of people are low in omega-3 fatty acids. It's just a rampant shortage. And you get omega-3 fatty acids from fish, also from green leafy vegetables, avocados, nuts, and seeds. But in particular, it's EPA and DHA. And the studies for depression are really interesting. Because DHA doesn't seem to make a big difference. It's EPA. And most, a lot of people think DHA for the brain, EPA for the heart. But in fact, that's not accurate. Another major cause of inflammation is gum disease. Like, I didn't really care about my gums until I started reading about periodontal disease and dementia, periodontal disease and depression, periodontal disease and heart disease, and whatever's you know, bad for your heart is bad for your brain. And so floss, go to the dentist, take good care of your teeth, absolutely critical. And then leaky gut, which is if your gut's not right, then your brain's not right. And so leaky gut is the lining of your intestinal tract is just a single cell layer thick. And if the junctions of those cells widen, become leaky, things get inside your body from your intestinal tract, they actually get into your bloodstream that causes an inflammatory response. Your body gets upset about it and it causes inflammation, which then goes with joint pain and rosacea, um, brain fog, and you're in trouble. So a major strategy is get your gut right. It'll decrease inflammation and you'll be happier. So you actually, you know, like I said, I'm a psychiatrist. Why do I care about gut bugs? Because if your microbiome's not healthy, 
your brain is not going to be healthy either, which is why things like probiotics can be helpful and why you want to kill the sugar and foods that quickly turn to sugar. Dr. Amen, I'm wondering if you could please tell us a bit about the supplements that some of us might need and how could we tell if we need them? So I'm a, just a huge fan of multiple vitamins for everybody. It just helps. I think of it almost like an insurance policy. People have life insurance because, you know, they want to just make sure if they're not around, they can take care of other people they love. I think it's an insurance policy against the rampant nutrient deficiencies in the United States. I'm also a huge fan of omega-3 fatty acids. In our study, we actually did a study of 50 consecutive patient stamen clinics. 49 of them had subpar levels of omega-3 fatty acids. I think everybody should know their vitamin D level and optimize it. I think many people are like me. I need to take 5,000 units a day of vitamin D just to have a normal level, a good normal level. I'm also a fan of, I mean, so many, but theanine, for example, for anxiety disorders, saffron, if your mood's not what it could be, curcumins to decrease inflammation, ginkgo for blood flow. Why the prettiest brains I've ever seen take ginkgo. Cocoflavanols have been shown to increase blood flow and help memory. I'm a fan of magnesium. I think actually most people probably need magnesium. Helps with anxiety and muscle tension. Can also help with sleep. Those are some of the supplements I particularly like. Oh, that's so helpful. Thank you so much. Dr. Amen, you've talked about inflammation, and you've also mentioned that there may be an epidemic of Lyme disease. And I'm curious, is inflammation and Lyme disease kind of the two sides of the same coin? And can you tell us a little bit about one of your patients in the book, Adriana, and her challenges with Lyme disease and what you can do to counteract that inflammatory reaction. So Lyme disease comes generally from a deer tick. So you get bitten and it injects the bacterium into your body and then can actually your immune system can take care of it, or for many people, it can attack virtually all of their organs, including their brain. So if you overlay a map of the United States with the highest incidence of schizophrenia, it's generally the Northeast, the North Midwest, and the West Coast. So just think of that in your mind, the highest incidence of schizophrenia. And now overlay a map of the highest incidence of Lyme disease. Those maps are virtually identical. Wow. So Adriano is a 16-year-old girl whose family went on vacation to Yosemite National Park in California. And when they got to where they were staying, their cabin, they were surrounded by six deer. And they thought it was a magical moment. But about 10 days later, Adriana, who's beautiful, smart, good kid, good student, starts hallucinating. And she becomes aggressive. And her parents are completely freaked out. They're really wonderful people. They bring her to the psychiatric hospital. They hospitalize her. They put her on an antipsychotic. They diagnose her with schizophrenia. But the medications aren't working. So then they take her to Stanford. And it's the same story. And the doctor, um, even though the medications are not working, says she has schizophrenia. You need to accept this. That's what he tells Deb, the mother. And if you got to know Deb, you'd realize she's having none of this because she knows this is not her daughter. And after about six months, Adriana's a shell of herself, and she brought her to our clinic in Northern California. Her brain is on fire. Her brain 
is working way too hard, and that's often what we see in an acute inflammatory state. And the doctor worked her up, found she had Lyme disease, and on an antibiotic over the next year, Adriana got her brain back. She's no longer psychotic. And now we're about seven, eight years since we first diagnosed her. She graduated with honors from Pepperdine. She recently got a master's degree in human resource management from the University of London. She's normal. She's participating in her family. And every day about one o'clock, I get a text from her mother. How can I pray for you today? Hmm. Yeah. Dr. Amen, as we wrap up our conversation with you, I know a lot of our listeners are going to want to uh, read your book, The End of Mental Illness, but until they can get their hands on a copy, do you have a few practical steps that we can all follow to improve our brain health? So, yes, and remember, The End of Mental Illness begins with a revolution in brain health. And brain health is three things. You have to care about it. Nobody cares about their brain because you can't see it. You can see the wrinkles in your skin or the fat around your belly. And you do something when you're unhappy with it. So it starts by caring. And then you want to avoid things that hurt it and do things that help it. So you just basically need to know those lists. And Ultimately, it starts with a little tiny habit. This is what I find this is the mother habit of brain health. Is before you go to do anything or say anything or eat anything or engage in any sort of behavior, just ask yourself, is this good for my brain or bad for it? And if you can answer that question with information and love right? It's not because you should do it. It's because you love yourself. You love your children. You love your family. You love your mission. You love your money, right? If you can answer it with good information and love, you're going to begin to transform your brain and we're going to begin to transform our society. Dr. Daniel Amen, thank you so very much for talking with us on the Peebles Pharmacy today. Thank you. What a joy to talk to both of you. You've been listening to Dr. Daniel Amen. He's a physician, double board certified psychiatrist, and New York Times bestselling author. He's founder and medical director of Amen Clinics, which have the world's largest database of functional brain scans relating to behavior, totaling more than 125,000 scans on patients from 111 countries. Dr. Amen is a distinguished fellow of the American Psychiatric Association and is the lead researcher on the world's largest brain imaging and rehabilitation study on professional football players. Dr. Amen's latest book is The End of Mental Illness, How Neuroscience is Transforming Psychiatry and Helping Prevent or Reverse Mood and Anxiety Disorders, ADHD, Addictions, PTSD, Psychosis, Personality Disorders, and more. Lynn Siegel produced today's show. Al Wadarski engineered Dave Graydon edits our interviews. The People's Pharmacy is produced at the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. The People's Pharmacy theme music is by B.J. Lederman. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Verizana, an analytical laboratory providing home health tests for hormones, gut health, and the microbiome. Online at V-E-R-I-S-A-N-A dot com. And by Cocovia, maker of high-potency cocoflavanol supplements that support cognitive and cardiovascular health. More information at cocovia.com. And by Kaya Biotics, probiotic products made in Germany from certified organic ingredients. K-A-Y-A Biotics.com. If you'd like to buy a CD of today's show or any other people's pharmacy broadcast, you can call 800-732-2334. Today's show is number 1204. 
That number again, 800-732-2334, or place the order online at peoplespharmacy.com. When you visit our site, you can share your thoughts about today's show. At peoplespharmacy.com, you can sign up for our free online newsletter or subscribe to the free podcast of the show. You'll never miss another episode, and you can share it with a friend. In Durham, North Carolina, I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next week. Thank you for listening to the People's Pharmacy Podcast. It's an honor and a pleasure to bring you our award-winning program week in and week out. But producing and distributing this show as a free podcast takes time and costs money. If you like what we do and you'd like to help us continue to produce high-quality, independent healthcare journalism, please consider chipping in. All you have to do is go to peoplespharmacy.com slash donate. Whether it's just one time or a monthly donation, you can be part of the team that makes this show possible. Thank you for your continued loyalty and support. We couldn't make our show without you.